when you grew up. I had a few people in my life that I wanted to be like. One of the guys I wanted to be like was a guy named Bob Hartman. Um, most of you have not heard of Bob Hartman. Who has heard of Bob Hartman? All right, Randy. I knew Randy, Matthew. I knew you guys have come through for me. But uh, Bob Hartman was the guitar player for a band named Petra, and I wanted to shred a little guitar. I wanted to shred like Bob. I wanted to have a mullet. Yes, God bless the mullet. Like, like Bob. He didn't just have a, have a mullet. He had a permed mullet. I mean, this was like next level. And then, of course, growing up in Canada, um, there was a bunch of different hockey players that I wanted to be like. I wanted to be like a guy named Gary Curry, yes. uh, Paul Coffey, Wayne Gretzky. Most yes. of these guys are all from the Edmonton Oilers. But there was one person in particular that I really wanted to be like when I, when I grew up. Um, and I just thought, man, if I could become like this person, I would be set. The person I wanted to be like was Michael. Not Michael Jordan, Michael J. Fox. Yeah. And, 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 going, and here's why. Let me just tell you why. Because maybe you're going, why the heck Michael J. Fox? Okay, I grew up in the 80s for one thing. But... But the thing about Michael J. Fox is he was so good with the ladies. Yes. <laughs> so good with the ladies. And, and I just remember, I remember watching Back to the Future when I was a, a, a young teenager. And uh, there's this scene at the end of the movie where uh, he's kind of got all the family stuff all sorted out. And, and he's like, his family is just all switched around. And there he is with this cute girlfriend. He's got the nice truck and his arm around her. And he's just so like smooth. With, with, with the ladies, I just thought, man, if I could just be like that, I would be like a chick magnet. And because as a teen, I was the furthest thing possible away from being a chick magnet. Um, I was super shy. Um, the, the, anytime I would try to even talk to a girl that I thought was, was someone I'd be interested in, my face would go beet red. And I just had no idea how to act around, around girls. I had two brothers. I had no sisters. And so I just was, was never very, very good at all. I think a lot of you have heard the story of my, my first real date, but it's kind of worth retelling. I didn't have my first real date until I was 18 years old. I was so shocked. But I asked this girl, and to my shock, she said yes. And I started to freak out because I didn't know what we were going to talk about. And so um, I didn't know what I was going to say or how I was going to act if I just would bumble my way through the conversation. But I pick up this girl, and uh, I was driving in my, my brother's 89 Chevrolet Cavalier. And um, I pick her up to go on the date. And, and as I thought would happen, happened. It was just dead silence. I did not think of anything to say with this girl. It wasn't me. It, it just wasn't me. I needed someone like that. <laughs> so we're driving along, though. Nothing's being said. And all of a sudden, I mean, she says, with, just dripping with sarcasm, hey, see any good movies lately? And uh, the, the Bible college I was going to, actually, uh, they had a rule that you couldn't go to the movie theater. So I hadn't even seen any good movies to talk about. And so we just keep driving. And I'm looking at our situations and the silence is just like thick and awkward and and eventually she says hey um do you mind if we just turn down the heat a bit and i noticed instantly that sweat was pouring off my forehead i could feel the sweat dripping from my armpits down my the side of my body and yeah 
and we didn't need that kind of information. <laughs> and I realized that I had I got in the car and I had cranked the heat and I left it cranked for like 10, 15 minutes. And I was so nervous that I didn't even notice that it was like 175 degrees inside of the car. But in my early teen years, I knew this dating thing and girls presented a bit of a problem for me. So at one point, I decided, okay, I'm, I'm not going to just go through my teen years and not, you know, talk to the girls. And so I did what any teenage boy would do, and I went out and bought a bunch of books on how to talk to girls. <laughs> yes, as a teenager, I did this. And what teen boy buys books about dating girls? This guy did. Um, I was what kids today would call a noob. Um, I just, I had no idea. Um, little side note, when I was in my 20s, and uh, um, I met Becky, and, and she was actually interested in me, I thought, okay, this, this whole uh, woman thing would be a breeze, because I've read all the books. <laughs> I've got ladies figured out, and I just got to say, I could not have been more wrong. Um, but but I, as a teenager, I was just never happy with, with who I was. And I wanted to become something that I wasn't. I wanted to change. And if you saw who I was as a teenager, you would understand why. But um, everybody in this room, um, at some point in your life, uh, you've had this desire to change, the desire to become something that you currently are not. Um, maybe you wanted to become more of a kind person. Maybe you wanted to become a more patient person. Maybe you wanted to be better in a certain subject at school. Maybe you wanted to be better at a sport. You wanted to be more disciplined. Maybe you wanted to be uh, a better parent. You wanted to weigh less, or you maybe you wanted to weigh more. Um, you wanted to be a better boss. We're familiar with wanting to become something that we currently aren't. All of us uh, get in that or have that happen in our lives and I'm guessing most of you in this room today would probably say, yeah, there's some areas that I want to grow in, I, I want to change. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you know that following him has a lot to do with change. Has a lot to do with change. In fact, one of the big reasons that Jesus came was to change you. He came to change you. He came to, to transform your life. At the very outset of his ministry on earth, Jesus, he, he comes into the synagogue, which was like a a, uh, uh, what we have here, like a place where people gather for, for worship. He stands up in the front of the synagogue and just at the start of his ministry, and he, he declares this. He says, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free. That speaks of change. He came to, to take prisoners and set them free. And maybe you're here this morning, you're, you're bound up in some kind of prison. You can't escape that, that need for that next drink. You can't escape that need for the next high from, from winning at slots. Or you can't escape that desire for that next shot of porn. Whatever it might be, you, you're bound up, powerless to change. Well, Jesus came to change you. He came to take captives, prisoners, and set them free. He also came to give sight to the blind, he said. And maybe you're, you're, you're tired of fumbling around in the dark, seeking truth, trying to find meaning and purpose, but you can't see. You keep, you keep turning to the stuff that just doesn't satisfy. While Jesus came to take your blindness, to open up your eyes so you can see the truth, so you can see, see him. You see, the gospel is, is, is good news for a reason. 
good news for a reason. It's a message that no matter how broken, how far beyond hope you are, no matter how uh, far you are away from God, God has the power to change you, to transform your life. The journey of following Jesus, it, it starts with just tremendous change. The moment you put your faith and your trust in Jesus, what does he do? His Holy Spirit comes inside of you. There's this big theological word for what, to describe what happens. It's called regeneration. He takes your, your, your heart that is dead because of sin. He changes it and makes it alive to him. And all of a sudden, it's eternal life. It's hope. Sin's forgiven. You're made holy. You're made righteous. The Holy Spirit makes his home inside of your heart. And this change that happens in you, it's so radical that Jesus comes along and he calls it um, being born again. It's, you're a new creation, the, Bi the Bible says. Change, transform. And, and here's what is so important for us to understand this morning is that this radical transformation that happens at salvation is just the beginning. It's just the beginning. God's not done. He's not finished working in you. He's actually just getting started. He wants to continue to transform you. But, but what exactly is it that he's transforming, that he's changing you, you into? Often we think um, that the people that God is changing us into are the people that we kind of have in our minds as being the ideal kind of people. Um, we, we all have this picture uh, in our minds of our ideal self. What does that ideal self look like for you? Maybe you're a student in the room and you're going, man, my ideal self would be, I'd be super funny. I'd be able to walk the halls of my school with, with confidence. I'd have lots of friends. Um, I could text 2,000 words a minute on my phone. Um, super confident. Maybe if you're an adult in the room, uh, your ideal self that you'd want to change into is somebody maybe who's, who's always organized. Maybe for somebody else, you're physically healthy. Maybe for someone else, you go, I want to be confident. I, want to, I, I would want to be uh, just fearless and focused. But what does Jesus want to change us into? That's the question for us. What does Jesus want to change us into? Um, if we're the clay, he's the potter. Um, if we're the canvas, he's kind of like, like Bob Ross, um, only without a perm, okay? Um, or maybe he has a perm, I don't know. But... But he's taking that lumpy clay and he's making it into something. He's taking that canvas of our lives and he, he's, he's, he's painting a picture um, with, with our lives. But of what? Well, here's what he's making us into. A people, the Bible says, who have reached unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of what? Of the fullness of Christ. Attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And God has chosen that of all the people that he could shape you and me into, he is shaping us into the image of his son, into the image of Jesus, which, by the way, is incredible news for us. But I suspect this morning, if you've been around church for any length of time, you have heard this so many times, you just kind of start to zone out. Yeah, I know, I know I'm supposed to become like Jesus. God's making me to become more and more like Jesus. But I want us just for a second just to hang out here and, and look at what this means when we talk about becoming more and more like <coughs> Jesus. You may or may not know this, but there's no one you'd rather be like than Jesus. Nobody you'd rather be like than Jesus. 
He is the, the most free person you'll ever know. He's the most joyful person in the entire universe. He's the most loving, the most kind. He's, he's also the strongest, the most courageous. No one's a fighter like him. No one sacrifices like him. No one's as generous as he is. He is right in all he says, in all he does. He is wisdom. He is perfect trust. He is perfect obedience. There's no one as humble as him. There's nobody as forgiving as him. Nobody as compassionate as him. Nobody as just as him or as purposeful as him. He is totally, completely secure in who he is. He has no fear, no insecurity. He is free in every single way. And God says, I am shaping you to be like Jesus. And who better to be like than him? I love how, how the message paraphrases this, this verse that we just read in Ephesians 4. It says, we're becoming fully mature adults, fully developed within and without, fully alive like Christ. That's what we're becoming. Which leads to the next question. Well, how, how does God change us to become like Jesus? And, and the answer to this question is found uh, by looking at Jesus and looking at how um, when he in his, his earthly ministry, how he worked to change people's lives. And when Jesus began his earthly ministry, he made it really clear right from the outset that he didn't just come to this earth so that people could have the warm fuzzies. He made it very clear that he was showing up on the scene to bring change, to bring radical change. He preaches this message, repent, which is a word for returning from your old way and turning to, to, to his way. And he preaches this over and over again, repent, repent, repent. And, and as he comes along, he preaches and he heals. He teaches in the synagogues. He performs miracles. He forgives people from their sins. He loves the outcasts. And he uses all these different means to, to work in people's lives and to bring change. However, if you were to take all of those things and end at those, you would be missing the most important tool that Jesus used in bringing transformation to people. Yeah, he preached. Yeah, he healed. Yeah, he did miracles. He did all that kind of stuff. But there was one thing that, that he used more than anything else to bring change to people's lives. You know what that was? It was life-on-life life intentional relationships. That's it. He shows up on the scene. What's one of the first things that he does? He invites these 12 guys, Matthew, Mark, uh, James, Andrew, Peter, Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, James, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, Judas Iscariot, he invites these guys, the Bible says, to be with him. And, 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 th and then what he does when he has these guys, he invests, get this, he invests 90% of his ministry time in life-on-life -life relationships with these guys. Bible scholars have taken down, uh, taken apart the four Gospels, and they have kind of divided up where he spent his time. 90% of his ministry time on earth was, was not spent preaching to the masses, it was spent investing in life-on-life -life relationships with these 12 guys. And the change that happens in these guys is, is stunning. Jesus initially calls these guys. They're tax collectors, uh, fishermen, um, political fanatics. They're hot. Some of them are hot-tempered, full of doubt, selfish, arrogant, um, of offensive. And one day, these guys... Are, are, are going to be changed into becoming the apostles. They're going to go from that, and Jesus has to get them ready to become apostles. 
the guys that, that he's going to build his church on. A lot of change from, 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 from arrogant, hot-tempered, selfish, all that to the guys that he's going to use to build his church. A lot of change has to happen in, in these, these guys' lives. This is the disciples. They're lumps of clay that need a lot of, of molding. And so what does Jesus do? He comes along and, and he goes to work. And what do you see Jesus do with these 12 guys? Um, do you see him standing over these guys and, and waving his magic wand over them and just magically turning them into uh, the guys that he was making them into? Um, he could have done that. He's God, but, but he doesn't. He also doesn't take these 12 guys and say, hey, nice to meet you guys. I want to direct you to your, grab your iPhones. I want to direct you to my latest uh, six-part sermon series. And when you guys go home, just like go through that and we'll catch back up in, in a couple weeks. He doesn't do that. You don't see that happening. He doesn't have them sign up for a program. Um, he doesn't send them to a seminar on, on personal improvement. Instead, what Jesus does is he, he changes them by stepping down into the trenches of everyday life with them and teaching them his way. That's what he does. He steps down into the trenches of life with them. He teaches them through, through what he says, and he teaches them um, through what he, he does, what, what his way looks like, what it means to become like him. And they see Jesus, the person they're becoming, all the time. He begins on the beach. He shows up as these guys are fishing, and they're, they're, they're cleaning the nets, the Bible says. And Jesus shows up on the scene, gets right down to their workplace. He gives them a couple tips on catching fish. They go out in the waters. They catch this, this miraculous load to which Jesus says, hey, guys, you just had the best work day of your life, the most productive day of your life, but guess what? Um, things are going to change. He says, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me, and I will make you, I will change you from, from what you are into something that you're not already. I will change you into fishers of men. And how does he plan to do this? By doing life with these guys. By doing life with these guys. He, and he, he's with them. You see Jesus, next thing in the Bible, he shows up to a wedding. And we don't know who the person was that got married, but Jesus isn't just there alone. He shows up with, with the 12 disciples. Then he, he ends up going into their homes. He teaches them. He rebukes them. He equips them to serve people. Then he, he'll, he'll debrief with them at the end, at the end of an event. Um, he goes boating with them. He prays with them. He does life with these guys. Why does he do that? Because the journey to becoming like Jesus, it happens best in intentional life-on-life life relationships. Something that we in the 21st century, we don't have the time for or the patience for. And I'm not just talking like in, in church world. I'm talking everywhere. You know, we, we just don't have the patience. We want instant change. We want to grab a hold of that magic diet that's going to make us uh, skinny or whatever in, in just four weeks. We, give me the magic book That'll make me the perfect parent when I'm done. Or, or give me the magical devotion on my, my Bible app that if I, if I just spend 10 days on it, all of a sudden I'll become the loving person that I want to be. We, we have this idea of change happening just in an instant, but that's not how, how God works. We don't want the long, challenging road of intentional relationships. We just want change to come quickly. But Jesus comes along, and what does he show us? He shows us that that's just not how it works. He shows us that it, it, takes, it takes the slow, challenging road of relationships because the work that he wants to do in us and the work that he wanted to do in the disciples 
was not a surfacey, shallow kind of work. What he wanted to do in them was a deep, deep work that would last way beyond a spiritual high. He wanted to do a work in these 12 guys that would be sustainable. It would last um, to the, the point that Jesus, when he left this earth, that these guys, that the change that would happen in them would be so significant that they would go on to, to literally flip the world upside down for Jesus. I love how Eugene Peterson, he's the guy that, that wrote the message paraphrase. He puts it like this. He says, Jesus restricted nine-tenths of his ministry to 12 Jews because it was the only way to reach all Americans. Say that one more time. Jesus restricted nine-tenths of his ministry to 12 Jews because it was the only way to reach all Americans. In other words, he had enough vision to think small, focusing his time, his energy, his teaching, his training to 12 men did not limit his influence. It actually expanded his influence. And if he had not invested like he, he did, we would not be sitting in this room today. But what does he do for change? He invests, he pours his life into these 12 guys. Now, obviously, Scripture is not against sermons. That's not what this is about this morning. Um, Jesus preached all the time. Scripture is not against classes or Bible studies. Otherwise, we wouldn't be doing them. We do a lot of them around here. But what we're, 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 where we get it wrong so often in the church is that we make um, these the most important part of transformation when Jesus showed us that they weren't. Jesus showed us the most important part of transformation is being in relationship, doing life with people. He was mainly about getting in the trenches with a small handful of people and then teaching them, training them so that they could learn to be like him and be changed into his likeness. So what does all this mean for us? As a church, this, this is one of the most important aspects of, of how we do life together as a church. We learn. We learn through intentional relationships. And as we do, we are changed and we become more and more like Jesus. And if you don't know where to start, let me just this morning... Um, give you some, some places to start. Because maybe you're here, you're going, Rich, that sounds great. I, I see how Jesus did that. But I don't have any idea where to start when it comes to becoming more and more like Jesus. Well, let me just give you a few places to start that will help give you some direction. First place to start is with yourself. First place to start is with yourself. If you really want to become like Jesus, there are two traits that are absolutely critical for you to have. Loyalty to Jesus is one of them. And the other one that you need to have is teachability. Loyalty to Jesus and, and teachability. What do I mean by, by loyalty to Jesus? Well, it's simply this. You value Jesus above all else. He's not just an add-on in your life. He, he's, he's the Lord of your life. He's not just your Savior. He's your very best friend. You want him more than anyone or anything in this life. You, you're just, you're loyal to Jesus. He, he is the, the most important person in your life. We don't know, a lot of, a lot of time over the years has spent debating why, why was it that Jesus, of all the people that he could have chosen, why did he choose these 12 guys? Why these 12 guys? And everybody's got different ideas on why he chose these, two, these, these 12 guys. But something you can't argue is that when you look at these 12 guys, they, they had loyalty to Jesus and teachability in spades. They were, they were absolutely loyal to Jesus. Um, 
you, you look at the scripture and, and you see uh, James and John, Jesus comes along and he calls them. The Bible says that when Jesus called them, they immediately left the boat and their father and followed him. That's loyalty to Jesus right there. Jesus comes along and says, hey, I'm going to make you into something. And, and they understand the gravity of what that means. They literally leave their career behind. And their father, who had taught them that career, they leave the, their career and their dad behind on the beach to go follow Jesus. That's loyalty to Jesus. And then there's Peter. In, in conversation with Jesus one time, he put it like this. He said, um, we have left everything to follow you. Loyalty to Jesus above all others. We get the opposite picture of loyalty in this, the rich young ruler. Remember this guy? Jesus comes along and, and Jesus says to him, hey, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. You know, we get that backwards in our day and age. We think that, that, that it's, it starts with, with, with um, you know, the, the loyalty thing and that, that'll come down the road. You know, at some point, maybe I'll, I'll commit and go all in with Jesus. Jesus says, no, it starts with that. It starts with loyalty. And he says to this guy, hey, sell everything, then come follow me. And look what the Bible says happened. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Guess what? This guy was loyal to you, but he just wasn't loyal to Jesus. He was loyal to his money. And Jesus says, hey, it's, it's about loyalty to me above all others. How about you? Is there evidence in your life that you are loyal to Jesus above all else? And maybe you go, okay, what does evidence look like? Well, here's some evidence of loyalty to Jesus. There's going to be a willingness to obey him wherever he leads you and whatever he asks you to do. There's going to be a willingness to bring your behavior and your lifestyle in alignment with his. That's loyalty to Jesus. And then there's going to be an openness to examining your life and go, God, what do you want to do in me? Where do you want to change me? What do you want to work on in my life? And then the most important thing when there's loyalty is just that value thing. You will, you will value Jesus above, above all else. There has to be loyalty. And then there needs to be teachability. You won't learn. You won't change and grow if you think you already know it all. It just doesn't happen that way. You won't, and you won't learn if you don't want to learn. I mean, everybody here that's ever coached any kind of sports team and you've had that kid on the team that doesn't really want to learn, you know they're not going to really learn if they don't really want to learn. You, you have to really want to learn. You have to really want to go uh, grow. And when you look at the 12 disciples, these guys weren't the most influential. They weren't the smartest guys in the room. Um, they, they weren't the guys that had the, the most on the ball. But Jesus didn't call them for what they were. He called these guys for what they were going to become. And he knew that they could be transformed because why? Because they were teachable. They were teachable. They let Jesus mold them. They let Jesus shape them. You know, at times when you look at Jesus' time with these guys, you see that the molding was not always easy. In fact, one time Jesus comes along to Peter, Peter who is, is, is just being really self-centered, and Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Now, I don't know if, about you, but if I would have been Peter in that moment... You know what I'm probably doing? I'm getting really offended, and I'm just going to probably walk away. But, but Peter, no, not a chance. What he does is he, he actually stays submitted. He stays teachable. I love what author Greg Ogden says about teachability. He says, teachability is a hunger to learn and a humility to not care from who you learn it. 
It's a hunger to learn and a humility to, to not care from whom you learn. You go, I just want to grow. I just want to learn. I just want to become more like Jesus, no matter where, where, where or how that happens. And does that describe you? Loyalty to Jesus and teachability. This is where a life of discipleship starts, not where it ends. It's where it starts. And, and, and can we just be honest in the room this morning? A lot of Christians say they want to grow. They say they want to be like Jesus. But if they don't have loyalty and teachability, you know what? They're no different than a young adult saying that they want to become an engineer or a teacher, but they're still holding the acceptance letter in their hands. And they haven't even signed up for classes yet. They haven't even begun going to college. It's no different. You have to be... uh, valuing Jesus above all else and be teachability. In the modern church era, we've made loyalty to Jesus and teachability. We've made these the end goal, but Jesus says, no, they're actually where you start. If you really want to grow, you really want to change, this is where it starts. Remember he said this, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me. Examine your heart this morning. Are you loyal to Jesus above else or are you teachable? But then when you get there, how do, how do you begin to find the life-on-life relationships where you'll, you'll learn and you'll grow and you'll, you'll become like Jesus? And, and here we're really talking about discipling relationships where, 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 where we have a friend that is helping us grow in Christ. Um, discipling relationships is this. It's, it's, it's having someone in your life who is going to intentionally partner with you on your journey of becoming like Jesus. And how do you get that kind of a relationship in your life? Where do you even begin to start? There's this old saying in martial arts um, that has some truth when it comes to discipleship. It goes like this. When the student is ready, the teacher will appear. You ever hear that before? When the student is ready, the teacher will appear. And I really think there's an element of that when it comes to discipleship where if you're really hungry to grow, I mean, you're like, whatever it takes, I want to grow. I want to learn. I I, want to become more like Jesus. If you're seeking out relationship, eventually somebody's going to notice and, and, and I think take you in under their ring, wing. But it doesn't always happen that way. So, so here's what we do as a church. We're talking about how we do life as a church, how we do life as CTK Ferndale. Here's what we do to help you grow and change and be discipled and get in relationship and, and, and have those kind of people in your life that are going to intentionally partner with you on your spiritual journey. Here's some things that we do. Um, we create spaces where you can connect and begin building these kind of relationships that we're, we're talking about this morning. We create these spaces. Well, Rich, what are you talking about? What kind of spaces are you, are you talking about? Well, one of the spaces that, that we, we create, I mean, this is, this is, this is like a, a place for you just to kind of get connected, but this isn't where you're really going to find these kind of relationships. You can come and go every single week on a Sunday morning, and guess what? You, you may never get these kind of relationships that I'm talking about this morning. Because it's in, it's out, it's in. There's a lot of us here. And so we create these spaces where you can really get connected. Um, Josiah talked a, a little bit about some of them earlier on. This, this Saturday, if you're a dude in the, the place, there's this thing called Men's Connect, where you can show up and get to know some other guys and, and begin to make some relationships and connections and, and, and see where, where God works and where God moves. Um, the, there's a women's study, a, a brunch coming up in October here where, where you can 
get to know some other ladies. We have Celebrate Recovery that happens every single Thursday night. And, and what happens there is a group of people get together around dinner, around food, around God's word, and, and they begin to build relationships and, and discover what it means to be free in Christ. For you that are in the room, there are students. Hey, guess what? We have spaces where you can connect and begin to build relationships. Every Sunday night, if you're a high schooler, we meet at a, at a house, at the Williams House here in Ferndale, where you can come and be around a group of people, a group of other students, and begin to form some relationships, get some people in your life that are going to invest in you. If you're a middle schooler, every Tuesday night, 6.30, right here, there's a space, there's a group of people who crack open God's word, have some crazy, stupid fun together, and begin to grow and begin to learn. If you're a kid in the room, or you have kids, every Sunday morning, Kids Rock, Nursery, Adventureland, over there on the other half of the building. They're not just coming together so that, so that you have someone to look after your kids while you come in here and worship. No, they're building relationships, disciple-making relationships, where your kids are going to grow and they're going to learn. They're going to they're discover what it means to become like Jesus. Um, every year we take a missions trip. And, and it's an opportunity to come together. Again, it's a space where you don't just go on a trip for, for 10 days. No, it actually starts six, seven months in advance of that trip where you're getting together with your team every other week and you're beginning just to grow and build relationships and become more and more and more like Jesus. Um, some of you in the church have discovered quads. And maybe you've heard about these before. You know, what the heck is a quad? It sounds like something I'd like to be in. It's a group of three or four people that get together weekly for a six-month period of intensive discipleship, getting to know one another, being known, discovering who Jesus is. But we have these spaces, and if you want to become more like Jesus, you have to figure out how to engage in relationships. And we, we on our end, let me just tell you, we can only create the space. We can't make you come. We can't, and we won't, because that would be weird. But... We create the space, but you got to go, okay, I want to be like Jesus, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find a space. I'm going to get connected. I'm going to start to, to, to get to know some people, and I'm going to, yeah, it might be awkward at first. In fact, let me just tell you this. It will be awkward at first getting to know new people, at least for me. I'm a totally introvert. It's, it's always awkward at first, but if you really want to grow like Christ, you gotta, you got to push through that awkwardness. you got to push through, and you got to go, okay... It, uh, the thing that matters most to me is I want to become like Jesus. And so I'm going to do whatever it's, it's going to take. If you want to become more like Jesus, you have to engage in relationships. And, and let me just put this other word in there. You have to consistently, you have to consistently engage in relationships where you'll grow. Not just show up once or twice every two or three months. No, you have to consistently engage. Just go back to those 12 disciples. Imagine Jesus has got three years on earth. Imagine that James and John are just going, yeah, we want to be like Jesus, but we can only make time to show up and hang out with Jesus once or twice every few months. Just imagine how things would have been so much different than they were. You, you have to make space to, to consistently engage. And to be honest, in our day and age where we are all so busy, all of us, where we don't have um, any extra margin um, where we're becoming increasingly 
isolated from other people and where everybody, I mean everybody in our day and age just seems to be so easily offended, we, it, it's, it's hard to have these kinds of relationships. But Jesus says, no, hey, if you want to, if you want to grow, you want to become like me, you have to figure out a way. What do you have to sacrifice? Where do you have to make time? What, what, what do you have to push through in relationships to, to be consistently engaging? It's the only way to grow. It's the only way to really grow. Nine-tenths of Jesus' time was spent with the 12 disciples. It's the only way. When relationship is hard, and you know relationships can be hard. I haven't been in any relationship that's been easy. They're, they're hard. When relationships get hard, you, it means you just keep showing up. When you don't feel like it, you keep showing up. When time is in short supply because it's the fall and kids are running everywhere, doing everything, you keep showing up. When somebody says something or they do something that offends you and that bothers you, you keep showing up. When you feel discouraged, you keep showing up. When you're weary, you keep showing up. If you want to be like Jesus, you find those relationships and then you keep on showing up. And it's there that you'll begin to really learn what it means to live like Jesus. And you might even find yourself being transformed in the process. Our call as followers of Jesus, is to follow him daily, becoming more and more like him while helping others do the same. And, and I want to just wrap up with a question for you today. What can you begin to do this week to get more connected in relationship? What can you begin to do this week? What can you begin to do? Don't know where to start? Maybe you're going, I don't know, I even know where to begin to start. Richie rattled off a bunch of stuff earlier on, but man, I don't know where to begin. I don't know where to start. Hey, if you really want, if you're really serious about this, there, there's actually a simple place to start. Just grab that connection card, put on there, hey, I'll, I want to get connected, but I don't know how. And somebody will connect with you um, and have a conversation with you and will help you find a place to get, to get connected. But you have to take the step. You have to take the step. You hear me? You have to take the step to get connected, to get engaged in relationship. What can you begin to do this week to get connected in relationship? And here's one other question. What can you do to begin to help somebody else get connected in relationship? What can you begin inviting somebody into? Maybe you're a student in the room who's a part of United, and, and you notice another student who shows up every Sunday, but you don't see them show up at United, and you just... Maybe for you, it's just taking a moment to introduce yourself and let them know, hey, we have this thing on Sunday nights and Tuesday nights. Be great to have you come be a part of this. There's, there's ways that we can invite others into the community that we have. What can you do to get more relationship in your life and who can you begin <coughs> to help get connected? This is how we grow as, as followers of Jesus.